Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk who are the sponsors of the Forever Blue podcast. They are Chartered Mortgage Advisors and if you go to their website, which is charleslouis.co.uk, not only will you be able to read about what they do and how it might be able to help you, your family or your friends, but there's also a phone number on there. So if you want to give them a call to get personal advice, uh, you're very welcome to do that. Feel free to say that you've heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast and uh, and I'm sure they will be very helpful to you and we thank them very, very much for their support. Now, this is a slightly different podcast tonight uh, because instead of it being three of the regulars uh, that you hear from uh, every week, basically, uh, it is three members of the City Matters Committee. Now, if you don't know what the City Matters Committee is or do, all will be explained in just a moment or two. But I think the first thing to do is to get them to introduce themselves rather than me just say, here are, and then give three first names out. I think if you can give us your background, your name, who you represent, and a little bit about you as a fan. So um, the gentleman in, and the thing is, I know all three of them, so it sounds a bit false to do this, but the, the gentleman in the corner there, what, what, give us your details. Right, so you recognise my voice. I'm Colin Savage. I represent season card holders on the City Matters Committee, so there's 40,000 of those. Obviously, I'm a season card holder myself, have been since the very early 1970s, so I go to pretty well most home games, all home games, and um, as many away games as I can get to. You might also know me through uh, writing for King of the Kipax, and I appear on other podcasts. And the next gentleman is? My name's Andrew Bucknall. I'm the BAME representative for Manchester City. Just to explain what BAME is? Uh, Black, Asian, ethnic minorities, categories. But I represent all blues. They're all blues to me, no matter what the colour they are. Um, Stratford-born blue. Um... Stratford, full of City fans in the 70s. I was one of the rare faces on the terraces, one of the rare black faces on the terraces in the 70s and 80s. And I'd like to say, despite recent you know, issues, City's always been a welcoming club, no matter what colour you are. Always has been, always will be. And the third representative is? I'm Adam Purdue. Um, I'm representing families and young children or young people. Um, I've been going about 45 years, I think, uh, taken as a child by my dad. Um, and I've been taking my daughter for about 10 years. She's 15 now, so she's been lucky enough that she's in a 10-year City career and she's in Sergio Aguero in every season. Uh, so she doesn't know what it used to be like. <laughs> now, there are three of you here. I believe there are 10, is that right? 10, and you're elected representatives by fellow supporters. What, what, how come it's you three that are here today? Very welcome. I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, but why you three? I think, well, I've got no hair to wash, so I had no, I had no, no excuse. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're all um, members of subgroups that work on specific issues, so uh, they're the, the groups that really are important to the home-going match fan, so I'm on a catering committee, so I'll take any questions about food and drink. OK, and you too. I'm Andrew again, and I'm on the uh, Atmosphere subgroup. Obviously, Atmosphere is a, a big issue at games. Certain games are, you know, quite flat. Other games, are, you know, everyone's up for it. So we want to create the same atmosphere, no matter who we're playing. And I'm uh, on the ticketing subgroup or working group, and uh, obviously ticketing's a hot topic most of the time. So we have some fairly busy and intense meetings on that. Now, just to explain, we did a podcast... 
I'm thinking about six weeks ago, um, but if you look on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast from, you'll see the one where we had three members of the City Matters Committee here, and we tended to spend most of that particular pod um, talking about the away match ticket allocations and how those are dealt with. We talked about the reduction of the uh, ticket allocation at Manchester United in those two games in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. One or two people contacted me after that and said uh, that was very interesting but what about focusing a little bit more on things that happen at the Etihad where we all go and we don't necessarily all go to away games so we are going to focus a little bit more on that in this pod. Now there is an international break coming up, Um, it's still a while off, I think it's towards the end of March or something like that and hopefully we'll get three members whether it's the same three or three different ones or a mixture of both whatever from the City Matters Committee to have another chat in a few weeks during that international break Now although tonight's podcast is unapologetically going to be City Matters issues and one or two questions that people have asked me and a few I'll throw in myself, uh, we can't not talk about the big events of the last 48 hours, i.e. City being banned from the Champions League for two seasons. Uh, Obviously that's subject potentially to appeal, that situation may change but that's where it is at the moment. And obviously, having Colin Savage here, who is a renowned uh, blogger on finances and FFP, etc., I'm going to start by asking you, Colin, because we've just done uh, a, a video version of this, a vlog, and that's about 10 minutes long, and you'll find that on my uh, Forever Blue YouTube channel. So I don't want to go into it all, but what's your initial... So have a look at that video, is what I'm saying, and you'll see what Colin thinks. But it briefly, what is your take on what's happened? Well, obviously, uh, to repeat what I said in the video, I think we're all quite shocked about it. Uh, The rumours were we weren't going to get a ban, we were going to get a fine. But uh, as I said in the video, uh, it it appears that UEFA were trying to persuade us to accept a a guilty plea to a a minor technical breach and and accept a fine. But City weren't keen on that. Now, Now, one thing we didn't talk about on the video, which has kind of occurred to me just while we're sat here, is... If we, if we do get banned from the Champions League, we lose um, 85, 90 million pounds a season for each season we're, we're out of that Champions League. Now, at the moment, we're making profits of 28 million, which sees us well through financial fair play. Losing that 85 million, you know, if we're looking at losses of 50, 60 million for a couple of seasons, potentially, that's a huge financial risk. And, and ironically, banning us from the Champions League potentially renders us liable to fail financial fair play again. So it's almost like a never-ending circle. Which would mean that some of the sceptics would suggest that the rumours of selling Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne to Real Madrid or somebody like that for a lot of money might actually have to happen. Well, we don't know yet, Um, so so let's wait and see what happens. I I don't want to spread doom and gloom, but that's the sort of illustration of the sort of risk that we face here it's it's not an existential risk in the way in 2008 we're on the verge of administration just before uh, Takin Shinawatra took over so, so you know we'll cope but yeah it could be quite it could set us back all the progress we've had over the last you know 10 years or so could set us back quite dramatically but hopefully that won't happen for a lot more detail from Colin's thoughts, have a look at the video on the YouTube channel. Andrew, what's your reaction to... what? Were, were, can you remember where you were and how you felt when it was announced? Um, yeah, I was at home. Um, it came from on my phone. I messaged a load of people. Um, they were all shocked. They thought it was a joke. 
Um, to me, I just think bring it on. They've, they've wanted to do this to City from day one. Um, I don't know who the painting is to David and the, uh, you know, and Goliath. It feels as though we're a small club, supposedly a small club that they don't want at the top table. <clears throat> but we're taking on UEFA, and I think this will be seismic for football. This will be talked about forever. Manchester City are not on the ropes. But it's like Bosman. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this will be, you know, everybody's, you know, it's open season on Manchester City. It always will be. And I say it time after time after time. If we're so insignificant, every paper is talking about us. So I won't say no publicity is bad publicity, but everyone, every man, woman and, and the dog is going on about what, you know, it's almost like they want us, they want our demise. What well, talk about demise is somewhat premature <laughs> um, we'll be alright I've no doubt about it and this will galvanise Manchester City the fans the players the owners Pep Pep won't leave I, I can't see any player leaving I think we'll say you know what roll up your sleeves let's go, let's go at them pretty sure I've seen Bernardo Silva say words to that effect today and what about you Adam can you remember where you were well yeah I was at home probably got the same message that Andrew got I'm guessing um, my, my thoughts on it now I've had time to calm down is I feel like this two years might just be a bit of a, a aim high thing by by UEFA, and they might be hoping that we would settle for a for a one year. But everything I've heard from within the club says that City won't won't be looking to compromise at all. Um, and if it you know if it does go down the legal route, I think City can challenge not just the ban but the whole um, the legality of of FFP anyway. I mean, if you look at the investment that the owners have put into the club, they've yielded that back you know in the shares that they've in the, in the share of the club that they've sold since so it's just, it's a legitimate business strategy from their from their end and i think another thing that they haven't you know that hasn't really been spoken about too much is if they're accusing city of sort of fi- financial misdemeanors but they're also accusing etihad airlines or whoever it might be and they, and, and they have got accounted books in the record you know and are they going to accuse these multinational companies of fraud or, or whatever it might be. Very so there's a whole point. whole legal minefield there that goes just beyond fighting the ban, I think. Very good point. If you want to hear more reaction from fans uh, to, to what happened on Friday, then there is already uh, a podcast, a previous one to this, which goes into this with a lot more emotion and a lot more fan reaction. So have a listen to that. So now we're going to focus on, on the reason for this particular podcast, which is the City Matters Committee. So I don't know which one of you wants to answer this, and you may well have answered it a little bit in the last one, so you don't need to go into a lot of detail, but just tell us what City Matters is, how it came about, why it came about, um, you know, what does it do in, in broad strokes here, not detail, um, just so that people know what, what we're talking about here. Well, it's a fan representative <coughs> that has... Um speaks to the club club officials once a month and we we've got different categories we represent every every kind of city fan you can think of and um we're like a well, go between sounds you know kind of cheapening what we do but we like to have a, an influence on how the experience of going to city being a city fan can be better than it already is so we meet up we we meet up together and then we meet up with city officials and we put forward you know a few topics of discussion like ticketing, atmosphere, catering. And we'd like to think we've seen a few, we've definitely seen changes this season, you know. Players, to listen to you. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, we, we, you know, we're not yes people. We're far from that. There's a lot of feisty people who I, I wouldn't like to take on on Facebook regarding, you know, anything that they're passionate about. So we're not there just to say, yeah, yeah, the club said this, the club has said that. We will challenge, you know, we have Omar Baradi there. We, we'll challenge him. We won't think 
oh God, you know, is you know quite high up in city's hierarchy. We won't say, you know, we won't say boo to a goose. We will challenge anybody, you know, because it's for the good of Manchester City. That's what we're here for. The best club, the most attacked club, and we will represent that club. You know, our club forever. You know. How long's this committee been going for? It's. I'm sorry, uh, It started about autumn in 2018, didn't it? If I remember rightly, about October, November. So a year and a half then. So about getting on for a year and a half now. Yeah. Okay. So that's that gives us the background of what it's all about. So um, obviously there are a lot of topics here. Before I actually ask you questions, either from me or from people who've contacted us, what are the issues that matter to you the most? What have, you, have been the, the passions that you've had? As you've sat down in that meeting and you've had fellow fans contact you uh, and say, bring this up, ask that. What are the things that you felt most passionate about? What do you feel you've made the most progress on? And what are the things that you've had the most resistance against if you can define those topics not easy but but that's what I'm throwing out to you uh, for me a big one was always the, was the catering and I do think we've had a lot of good results on that um, another big one uh, is transport and that's uh, a, t a tougher one to crack really um, I, I wouldn't say we've really got any tangible benefit on, on that yet but that's got to be something we, we look to do over the next year uh, well, for me, it's uh, transport is a big one for me as well. I'm quite keen on that because um, it affects people's match day experience. I represent 40,000 season car holders. They get lots of complaints about the Metrolink, about car parks, about all sorts of stuff. So we are talking to the club, I think, at the next meeting on March the 19th. They have asked to talk about transport. And particularly when the new, uh, this new 20,000-seat arena comes along, uh, the problem is going to be magnified. So there's lots of things that, that we can do to uh, try and do to try and make things better for fans on match day. My other passion is ticketing. So it, for me, it's about the strategy. Where's the club going with its ticketing policy? Because I think we said on the last show, as a demographic, we've probably got quite an old fan base, relatively speaking, because of the lack of success City have had over the years. The people who have been City fans have been City fans because it's for family reasons or, or, or mainly for family reasons. You didn't certainly didn't support City for the glory or the trophies. So as those people uh, are get, getting a bit older, we are hopefully trying to attract a new generation of fans. But for, for me, you've got to make you've got to be proactive. You've got to have active policies to encourage those fans to attend games. And, and I've been looking. I was looking today at the price of a family, two adults, two under-16s, attending a game at the top six clubs. And it, it's quite staggering that we are not... Um, we are not the cheapest... Not even we're not the cheapest. We're w w the most expensive. Well, let me stop you there, Colin. Just let me ask Andrew, first of all, about his passions, and then we'll pick up on this ticketing thing. Well, obviously, atmosphere is a big thing, and people used to say about you know queues, you know standard beer prices and stuff. And we have made seen changes there. You know, pies have gone down, beer's gone down, better queuing systems. But the atmosphere, I mean, one of our first meetings, safe standing always comes up. People say just you know put standing behind the goal, and we were told pretty much from day one. I think one of the first meetings that City were going to look into safe standing, and I've noticed a few other clubs have mentioned it. So. That's a must for me because people just want to stand up at games and that will create a better atmosphere. We always say about the singing sections, there's two different singing sections. 
put everyone together. Because some people want to stand and shout. Other people just want to sit and watch the game. Standing section, you know what you're getting when you go in there. You, you know, you're going into the bear pit, kind of the mosh pit kind of thing. So that will be um, massive. Love that word, massive. That would be great for Man City if we have safe standing behind the goal. I know the club did mention one end of the ground, but it's got a bit of south standing. It's got to be next to the away fans because, you know, you're like almost like that goading and, you know, that creates the atmosphere. So safe standing is a must at City. All right, well, we'll definitely be touching on that. Let's start with, uh, with ticketing. Um, obviously, City at the moment are banned from Europe for two years. Um, in fact, it gives me the opportunity uh, on that subject of ticketing. Uh, well, let me, let me ask you this first of all before I get to specifics. Um, when do City announce their season ticket prices for next season? And uh, I don't think they've been announced yet, have they? And have you had any input at all? Or has you as a committee talked to them about pricing for next year? No, well, no, we haven't. I mean, they won't announce the season ticket prices probably till uh, the end of the season, I suspect. I think it's normally that, before that, though, April, isn't, it? isn't it? Yeah, it used to be. I, I, they seemed to be late last summer, and, and and there was a lot of speculation. City denied this, but there was a lot of speculation. They were waiting to see how many trophies we won. So, um, so this decision was, by UEFA, if it if it sticks is going to be quite significant to this as well, isn't it? Well, potentially, I mean, because, because we don't force, unlike United, we don't force people to go on the uh, cup schemes. So, Well, well here's, here's the question, right? But, the person who sent me this question has to remain anonymous. I so I am going to honour that. Probably my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, two questions. Um, number one, superbia season card holders and seasonal hospitality members both can pay in advance for all games, all competitions. The question is, should these prices be reduced for 2021-22, sorry, 2021 season without the Champions League? And, and while you think about that one, the question two was, should City consider reducing all season card prices now? It's going to be even harder to fill the Etihad if we see a player exodus. Well, uh, as regards the first one, yeah, I mean, the... I would like to see a more sensible policy to ticket pricing. As I said, that the prices for a family of four to attend at City are the most expensive among the top six to watch a top six versus top six game. As regards seasonal hospitality and um, superbia, you'd imagine you're getting well, probably five games less, aren't you? So I would I would hope that prices would be reduced accordingly. However, having said what I said before, that we could be under some financial pressure, um, there's an obvious excuse for the club to say we, we just cannot reduce prices because we need every penny we can get, which is uh, would be unfortunate, of course. So as a representative of season card holders, who obviously this, there's 40,000 of them, will you, be campaign, will you understand that from the club? Or will you be campaigning saying, listen, if there's not going to be... Champions League and if, if some of the best players are going to desert City which they may or may not uh, but we won't know that at the point perhaps when these season ticket prices are set will you be saying to the club understand that you might need more revenue so feel free to put them up or no our fans deserve a bit of a drop if this happens or, or where do you stand on that and how well, well when the club put season ticket prices up the last couple of seasons we've been against that because the, the price increase has been minimal you know we're talking maybe about 
less than a million quid in, in revenue. Overall now, revenue, yeah. Uh, total revenue. Now, it, it's very dangerous to look at things in terms of total revenue, mind you. I say I've done my finances over the years, and I follow Cities accounts quite closely. So we made a profit of £10 million pounds, uh, this year, but that was basically a loss of £28 million pounds and a transfer profit of £38 million. Pounds. So operationally, we actually made a nearly £30 million pound loss. And for me, one of the good things about City Matters, it's not always one of the good things, is you're forced to look at things from every different point of view. So you've got to take the club's point of view into account. And, of course, you're taking the supporters. We'd all like cheaper season tickets or cheaper ticket prices. I think, there's a, I don't, I think that's one thing I would get agreement from all 40,000 season card holders. They'd all love to pay less. But we have to look at the club in terms of the finances, and I say this £28 million operational loss, uh, and it was the same last year, we've also got to think about that. So, so we can think about, we've got a £500 million plus revenue, and, and £1 million is a drop in the ocean, but it's less of a drop in the ocean when you're looking at a loss. Now, we, we pull in far less ticket revenue than our nearest competitors, probably Liverpool, similar size stadium, it's not a London club, and they're pulling in over top, just under 80 million we're pulling in just under 60 million so it's a big gap for a similar size stadium I, I don't know why that is well one of the reasons is we've got a lot of cheaper tickets uh, another reason is Liverpool have only got 25,000 season tickets so they're selling match day tickets they're selling um, get my maths right about 25,000 match day tickets at probably a premium price because obviously you sell a match day ticket for more than a season car pro rata. So yeah, we, we'd love lower season ticket prices. We'd love lower ticket prices because it's all, for me, 200 quid for a family to, to go and come and watch Arsenal. Family of four, two adults, two kids, would cost over 200 quid. And to or me, West Ham on a Wednesday night, as it will be this week, presumably. Will, will be something like that, yeah. Um, at Arsenal, it would cost less. Arsenal, to go to the Emirates, which we always think is an expensive stadium, to watch us that, to watch the game against us would have cost less than than we're charging for our fans to watch Arsenal. Uh, um, at Liverpool, a family of four could watch the game for under 125 quid for four of them. So this is a. There's no correct answer on this. I wonder whether, as the can I, can I just give an example there of yeah. the kind of conversation we've had. So over the over the last eighteen months, we've floated the idea a couple of times of maybe uh, what to do about platinum and gold, and and whether or not we would ever think about getting rid of platinum. And the club's response to that is always. Well, that's fine. If that's the decision that you think the fans would like to see, then that's something we'd listen to. But you'd also need to come up with a suggestion as to where we would get the missing six hundred and fifty grand from. So, it's not that it's not that we can't have any influence on the club, but there are there are parameters there around revenue that the club will need to get that that pretty much tie your hand. You know, we can't just say let's cut all the prices because the club won't wear that. So, if City do uh, get banned from the Champions League, and there is a massive shortfall, as Collins just explained, the club are not it, very obviously not going to reduce prices because they can't afford to do that. And I mean, says that sounds realistic. Well, well, well no, it, you know, it, the follow-up question though to, to Andrew, as yeah. uh, in terms of atmosphere, is that, uh, and this is a question, not not an answer. It feels to me as if when prices are a little lower, that encourages, and this may be a bit cliched, but more 
so-called ordinary vociferous fans to be able to come and afford to go to games and create a better atmosphere and that the higher the pricing structure is the more you're going to get people who are just going to come and sit and be entertainers if they go into the theatre. So therefore, it feels to me as if prices and atmosphere are related to one another. Uh, on on your committee, is, do you think I'm right or, or say I'm wrong if you want? Well, an example is the Fulham game in the Cup. I sat in my normal seat. I'm not on the Cup scheme, but I went to this game and there were so many people around me that weren't regular season tickets. None of the people I see on the match day you know, league game, were there. It was only me and my daughter, everybody else. And was, it was cheaper, you know, so was it yeah, noisier? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was quite funny to listen to, to be honest, because it, it was all the young guns, it was all the young kids coming with their parents who would probably never been to a game before. And again, to me, it's like, we can get these people into ground and season ticket holders who, you know, should be there anyway, because, you know, but again, it's like slight tangent pause, a bit annoyed about the... Complaints with forty thousand people in, you know, for the Sunday kickoff at one o'clock that was on BBC. It was just, you know, that was you know a bit out of order. However, it was you know meant, but um, just different atmosphere. Not a, it, it's hard to say because that game was finished after the sending off, so it was almost like just we're going to win this game. So there wasn't an app, you know, if it had been a different team, it might have been different. But I don't think the atmosphere was any different because of the pricing. I mean, something that. People say about season when the season cards come and the new scarf and the fancy wallets, it's like, get rid of them. Maybe give us a, a free cup game. We can't guarantee we're going to be drawn at home in the cup, but just something that can be used in the future. Jan, you know, we're at home in January for your likes of Fulham. If you can go for free, people probably would go for free because times are hard. People don't seem to understand. The people who, you know, everybody's having to go at City for this, that and the other. But they don't go to games, they don't understand. It took me ages to get from Wally Range to the Etihad on that Sunday for the, the Fulham game because roadworks, all the, you know, I'm not going to be sorry for myself, but, and I live four miles from the ground, it's difficult to get to games, that's not an excuse. Um, and talking about transport as well, a lot of the problems aren't Manchester City's problems, it's Manchester City Council, as Mark Todd was telling us, uh, Metrolink is franchised out, so they're only allowed to run at certain times. Um, so again, atmosphere, people leaving early. I think it's all connected to getting home because you can't just come out of the ground and jump on the tram, even though the tram runs straight into the ground. They don't run. You know, you can be stood there for an hour, and so people might leave when the trams are still running. That's not an excuse. We even talked about, you know, we talked about loyalty points. Was you know, I. I won't get into the argument of why people leave. I never leave early, you know, but I know a lot of people who genuinely, you know, live quite far away and if they miss their connection, they're not getting home that night and they're having to, you know, not getting home is not an option. So... There's a lot of things that contribute to, to this atmosphere thing. I mean, Aaron Fairfield, who contacted me on Twitter, um, said... And it sort of related this season card. I don't mean there's anything wrong with Aaron's question, by the way. I'm just talking about in our conversation here. Season card holders. Uh, he wants to bring this up and why they don't attend every game. Now I was watching the the Arsenal match today, and there were an awful lot of empty seats you could see. And I turned to my wife. I'm not. I'm not a big. Um, Obsessive about empty seats. <laughs> I know Andrew texts the, the Mickey out of empty seats um, on Facebook if you follow him, but I'm not an obsessive about that. Um, but what what I would say is that 
I knew that when Arsenal published the attendance today, it would say it was full. And yet we could see lots of empty seats. So I suppose Aaron's question is the same type of question, that there are a lot of season ticket holders who only attend of the 19 league games, 14, 15. And I know that was mentioned last time we did the City Matters uh, podcast, that the club are looking at people who don't attend all these games. But is that is that an issue? Is that is Aaron right to, to worry about that? Well, in one sense, yes. In another sense, no. Uh, because if you've paid for a season ticket, you've paid for your season ticket. You don't get a, a refund if you don't turn up. Now, there's all sorts of reasons, I imagine, why people don't turn up. People are ill. Uh, that happens. Uh, for, the, for cynics, mid- the cynics would say, though, that if, if this was Manchester United or Liverpool, every seat would be full. So the, well, the well, argument about people being ill, why does it not apply to the big games? Well, well it doesn't even apply to Liverpool because uh, about 18 months ago there was a big article in the Liverpool Echo, which is not normally... Um, Anti-Liverpool doesn't normally publish anything critical. But the problem was that Liverpool were having an average of 2,000 empty seats at games, despite having sold all the tickets. <laughs> I've read recently that we have a higher percentage of, of seats filled in Liverpool by a, a, a fraction of well, a percent. Well, well, it goes on. The People don't understand this. The Premier League rule is you have to report tickets distributed. That's the, the word they use, distributed. So if uh, obviously it's all season tickets because they, they all season tickets get counted in the attendance, whether you're there or not. Um, even if we give out free tickets, if we give out free tickets to a, a, a school or group, if we give out 50 free tickets and only 20 turn up, that's still 50 tickets distributed. If we give, I think we give tickets to, to places like Manchester University, they, and, uh, and of course if we give them the tickets, we can't sell them if there's excess demand unless they give us the tickets back. So if we give 500 tickets, for example, to Manchester University and they only sell 100, that's still 500 tickets Distributed, so that's one reason why we get empty seats because we give ticket tickets out and they aren't used. Someone actually told me the other day that um, when you see people collecting for charity around the ground, everyone gets a ticket. Every one of those people gets a ticket, and, and half of them just go before the game. So again, that's another reason. So you're never going to solve that problem a hundred percent because there will always be reasons why people don't turn up or seats are left empty. Uh, if demand was absolutely so high that we didn't need to give tickets out, then, um, you know, that would be a completely different issue. But you look at Liverpool, you you can't imagine demand's not high at Liverpool for Anfield, but they're getting 2,000 empty seats a game. Now, uh, some of that may be touts who've got seats they can't get rid of or... And this type of stuff is discussed in your oh, committee, Oh, yeah, is we it? discuss it all the time. <laughs> this is why we're encouraging people to use ticket exchange if they know they can't come. A lot of people for a midweek game, I had this problem for years, I think I said it on the last podcast, worked down in London, I couldn't get back for a midweek game, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so I tried to make sure my seat was used. But one of the things we're talking about is making sure seats are used. So, so we, we're encouraging people to use Ticket Exchange if they, if they can. Uh, we're looking at other ways uh, of moving tickets on easily and quickly because the, the fewer empty seats we can have, the better, really. I mean, I don't care about empty seats. Uh, if, as long as I'm at the game and watching, it's a good game. I don't care that there's a thousand empty seats particularly. But it, again, it does have an impact on revenue because if you're, so if you're a season ticket holder you, you, and you don't go... The club can actually sell your ticket for more than you paid for your season ticket pro rata. So if you've got one of these 300 quid season tickets, 
the club can sell that for 50 or 60 quid. So again, that's another impact on, on revenue. So it's something we're very concerned about. All right, let me move on to a different area here. Alexander Savage, who contacted me on the Forever Blue Facebook page, wants to talk about this. You mentioned it before, Andrew, the idea of safe standing. Is it a possibility or just being speculated among fans? Now, before you answer it, um, Tottenham, which was the last game actually that City played as we sit here, um, obviously I was in the away end and there was safe standing. I stood up in specially designed seats that had a barrier across the top. And in fact, the guy that was sat next to me, who you may have seen on the vlog that I do, was actually concerned that if he had to sit down, the barrier would be in the way. As it happened, of course, the way section didn't sit down. Uh, they stood up all the way through. So it wasn't an issue, and it meant you had a effectively a crush barrier to lean on. And one of the positives he felt about this was that if City score a goal, which clearly they didn't in that one, and people started surging and celebrating, that he would be protected from people behind. So it would that that is perhaps what safe standing is. You still get a designated seat, a designated standing area, but you have a proper room to stand there and you have a barrier. Now on that basis, Tottenham already have safe standing for their for the away fans in their ground. I've seen at Wolves earlier this season as well, they have a section of that, it seems like the same sort of thing for a section of their home supporters. So this already exists at two Premier League grounds. Why, and has this been discussed, have City not already installed this? Uh, is or, or are Tottenham and Wolves breaking the law? I mean, what's going on here? What Certainly, the the attitude within the club seems to be very uh, open to having the safe standing. I think basically it's tied in with the idea of a possible redevelopment of the ground at some point. Um, if 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 safe standing was to be to be legalised before any further development of the ground happened, I'm sure that so, it would so be you, put in. Yeah, you're using quite rightly. I understand that, Adam. That the word legalised. So how come Tottenham have got it? Uh, uh, I can answer that. There's, I think, a lot of misunderstanding about safe standing. And just to answer this quickly, I don't want to monopolise the, the podcast, but... Um, there's two different regulations in place. One is that the Taylor Report, after the Hillsborough disaster, mandated all seater stadiums. So that's... You've got to have a seat in... Uh, championship and uh, and at Tottenham there is a seat there you can fold the and seat and that's the down. seat now it's the local authority or, or the, the ground safety authority I forget what they're called who mandate that you're not allowed to stand so it's not a legal issue it's a local or bylaw so football safety so therefore issue. we can play with the semantics of, of the yep. wording of whether this is safe standing or not but City could certainly install the same type of rail seating or whatever you want to call it that Tottenham have got they could do that now because Tottenham have done it Wolves have done it so could that be something that you would discuss has it been discussed at the, the City Matters Committee and surely the areas in the south stand that you've talked about Andrew which is the corner that uh, as it wraps around and then the bit behind the goal where clearly all the fans stand up and sing anyway that could be done I know it has a cost implication, but in theory, that could be done between home games, couldn't it? Um, yeah, well, when they did discuss it, they actually talked about the other end, the family stand end of Beatman. We were saying, well, to keep it at the south stand, because they did discuss moving the family stand to east stand level three um, and having, you know, redeveloping, you know, north stand, family stand. So that's where they were thinking. We said, 
you know, south stand, that to me, it just makes sense to keep it at the south stand end because the away fans' access is better on Ashton New Road. So just just do it there. If you do it at the other end, I just think it's going to create problems. If you have standing and say where the family stand is, and then the away fans, you know, they've all we've said, you know, and the club agree that away fans have to be next to the most boisterous of City fans. So I genuinely think that they, they haven't got a final decision yet of where of where the long term layout of the ground is going to go. I mean, the, and that's the, the reason why they've not. Done I think it. so. Yeah. I mean, the, the the very first presentation we saw about exactly what Andrew's talking about mentioned the idea of redeveloping the North Stand, uh, putting a third tier on, but making the second tier and the third tier a single steep cop type tier and that 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 would have been an area if that were to take place that would be the sensible area to put safe standing in then obviously as Andrew says that would involve probably relocating the away fans and then there's the issues that the knock-on issues of that so I don't I don't think the club have decided yet what they're going to do and that's that's why there's no no plans to put any rail seats in yet see I completely respect Andrew's view and your view and and lots of other fans who would agree with what you're saying Um, I would have a slightly different view in that um Personally, it's always concerned me that home supporters and away supporters, the most volatile types of people who generally are the ones who create the atmosphere, actually are right next to each other. And when the derby happened recently where there were things being thrown and, and you know, I've always thought, you know, it's, it's asking for trouble. Sooner or later, these two types of fans, it's, something's going to happen that we, we then go, how did that happen? Well, you put the two most vociferous sets of fans together. So at many away games, and Tottenham would be an example of it. I'm not, I'm not saying Tottenham is, is reputedly one of the noisiest or most boisterous supporters, but they have that big bank at one end of the ground and the City fans are at the other in the corner, so as far away from each other as possible. From what you're saying, that's not what you want. And I, I understand because I've heard lots of City fans say it to me that that's not what they'd want either. But to me, it would make more sense to have the away fans where they are at the Ashton Road end and then have the bank of most vociferous City fans actually at the other end so that they are further apart, less trouble potentially in the long run. And what's what's wrong with that? But I, I think I'm in a small minority, clearly, aren't I, with that view? Yeah, I think there are um, quite a lot of people who like that idea of being next to the away fans. Yeah, no, I understand uh, you know, that. I think it's we've had this conversation. Yeah. You, watch, you watch people and they never watch the game, they're watching the away fan. Because the other side of the argument is if you say move the, um, the, 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 the city south stand fans to the north stand, move the family stand, you'd have away fans next to families. And you don't want that either. So you, in some way, you've got to keep home fans. Uh, next to the away fans. Um, I, I don't like the arrangement as it is at the moment, to be honest. I don't like the, the most vociferous section of two sections of fans split up by away fans because actually the acoustics of the stadium make it easier to hear from the other end. I'm in 109 and, and I can barely hear the, the fans on the other side of the south stand. When I'm sat, occasionally I sit in the family stand with my family, my brother has tickets there and my friends. Occasionally, I'll use one of their tickets for a European or a Cup game, and I can hear the away fans and the City fans of the South Stand far better from the other side of the ground than I can just round the corner. It's a difficult one, this. I mean, this, yeah. is this something you discuss deeply, Andrew, in this in this committee? Um, yeah, I mean, funny enough, on my memories, it came up. We played Aris about nine years ago, and I remember saying goodbye to the Europa League. Ironically, I remember saying goodbye to Europe, but. Um, I remember I was at the opposite end with my daughter and we, for the whole, I think again, a lot of it is cultural and who we're playing. 
because we watched the Alice fans for the whole game and they were singing and we could hear them when we was at the other end. And it is sometimes it's just generalising now, which I should really do considering who I represent, but um, sometimes we just can't be bothered. Some City fans, you know, just would rather watch the game and others want to sing. And again, splitting the, you know, put all the singers together. Like I say, I'd never thought about putting away fans miles away from, and we're only talking really about two teams and that's where the needle comes. It's Liverpool and United and obviously when we get relegated to League Two we won't be playing that well. Probably United where they're going, but um Well and there's Wigan and Bolton and uh, and Oldham potentially. Less, <laughs> less, less needle though. Um yeah, I I I, I just think the standing's gonna come in and maybe, you know, you can't just change it for a certain game, but maybe have the segregation a bit bigger than, you know, than just a row of you know a row of steps because that that creates a problem or just give United less tickets like they like to do with us Aaron Johnson um, which is still on atmosphere um, says uh, this might be an obvious one but the atmosphere against Madrid at home I've heard a lot of negativity towards UEFA already as as a result of what's happened two days ago are you worried about trouble what are you expecting at that game now from City supporters I don't think there'll be any trouble but we'll be all as one you know you know, because there's always little factions in cities, you know, city support anyway. But I don't think there'll be trouble. We'll just be quite passionate that night. There'll be, you know, we'll let our feelings be known. We're allowed to, you know, everybody else does. Everybody, like I say, I can't type in Manchester City into Google without seeing somebody having their opinion on Manchester City. Why can't we give it back? You know, we're allowed to be. We're not attacking people. You know, we're not smashing up coaches. We're basically <laughs> saying we think this is wrong. We'll disrespect your anthem. That's what we're doing. You know, I've heard people booing national anthem. I'm not saying that's right. You know, I've seen supposedly the best fans in the world booing the best players they've ever seen. 2014, we, you know, political, it's not really political, but we put a full page out in the Liverpool magazine, black armbands, respected the minute silence, which everybody should do. And from, from the first kick, our players were being booed. And that was, oh, well, that's Liverpool. That's a famous atmosphere. Not just it's not the game where they cheered Yaya Torre being stretched off, Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. So that's all right. So if we boo UEFA official. People say, well, you need to stop booing the UEFA anthem. Otherwise, you'll never win the Champions League. Well, that, I'll not go into, you know. <laughs> why should that make a difference if we boo the, the anthem? Why should that, you know, we play the games. We play the games to win. We are embracing the Champions League, but a lot of blues I know put it forth in list of you know priorities it certainly is for me I'm not I'll be honest I'm not, I want City to win every game but the Champions League doesn't hold that same thing for me and I just think when it's called a Champions League and people clubs that aren't champions are in it it's a mockery it shouldn't be called a Champions League when you've got teams last year's finals between two clubs that haven't won it in 80 years between them that's not champions your next meeting with the club uh, from the day that's uh, stuck in my mind now is ahead of the second leg of the Real Madrid game, isn't it? Uh, it's after, isn't it? March the nineteenth. Once the, the second leg is early in March, just isn't a it? couple of days after. Yeah. So you won't get you don't get a chance to speak to them. I just wondered if this was a subject that uh, you know the second leg, and then the potential volatility of that second leg might have been something that you would have talked about at City Matters. Whether they would have asked you advice on anything like what, that. We, what we, we have talked been. about in general terms is um, the way UEFA demand tickets for the UEFA family. 
Like you've got to take issue with, with Andy. He called it the anthem. Can we not call it an anthem? <laughs> it gives it an importance it doesn't deserve. I, I prefer jingle, uh, preferably. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> accepted. Um, we, you know, uh, UEFA insist on having away fans in home areas and they have uh, a, a set of seats for, for, for their sponsors. And that could be... We, there's been trouble over those in the past... Uh, and that could certainly be a flashpoint. Let me move on to something else now. And, and I know that some of what we're talking about here isn't necessarily specifically City Matters. Um, but but somebody said to me, in fact, uh, Daryl has said to me, um, one of the things that he's concerned about is, is City being levelled as being cheats. You know, that, that this word cheat is being used now as a result of the, the, the ban. Um, how players, staff and partners and sponsors... Um, react and whether they'll now want to be associated with City's name. In addition, he says, um, we could have further complications with sponsorship deals, uh, which of course uh, might be based on us being in Europe. And whilst Brexit hasn't actually happened yet and we're in a transition year, whether or not there's something that might happen as a result of that. Um, so those are two subjects that are concerning him. What what have you got concerns about being labelled cheats? And, yeah, and I find it interesting that um, yeah, that basically putting your own money into your own club is is somehow people taking the moral high ground against that as though uh, well a as though it's a bad thing and b as though it's not something that every other club that's had success has done for hundred and odd years. And also, I find it a bit troubling that we're the ones that get labelled the cheats all the time. But didn't didn't Leicester have have some? Yeah. Three million pound fine that they for breaking yeah, yeah. financial, had financial fair play problems. Their owners but, put more. They won the league. That was a fairy tale. Yeah. We've been called cheats from the, you know, it's again slightly much the representation I do have an issue. This is all relative that we get you know Arab money, dirty oil money, oil cheats. We get it all. This is you know, and I always reference kick it out. They don't seem to. It's blatant racism, but kick it out. Don't seem to take this on. As a black person, I don't see. I don't see colour. I see people. You know, and that might sound like wishy-washy liberal, but that's how I am. And I've noticed that sometimes kick it out. Don't go at people. Go. You know, I don't hear. You know, United's owners' religion or you know, it, it makes no difference. But it, it's it's not even veiled and. See, I'm coming on now to the media, so so this is quite interesting that, you, that we're at that point with your conversation. Do you believe, and you're in a perfect position to comment on this, that that some of this anti the language that's used and this and this 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 agenda that that City fans perceive is a, I'm trying to be diplomatic here because I'm playing the the presenter rather than offering my opinions. But this image that um, you know we are um, a Arab-owned, Muslim-owned, or whatever. You know, they can use religion, they can use race, they can use uh, where the fro- whatever. Do you think that is pure racism? Do you, or is, it, is there an element of racism? Or do you not think there's any of that in that? Without a doubt. I, you know, quite vocal on Facebook, and a lot of the comments I see is, you know, Arab money. They, what, you know, again, being called cheats, does Sheikh Mansour's money make the ball bend differently? Does it make it, you know... We're losing a lot of games this season. I mean, not cheating now, you know, or you just buy success. I don't understand how you can, you know, buy success when we haven't done it every season. We've gone seasons without winning anything. So, yeah, it's... I think with the current climate in the world that we're, we're just... 
it's open season on City. It's so easy, and it is. It's it's not even, you know, they don't even hide it, you know, because it's why does it matter that our owners are up, you know, because where does everyone go? You know, Liverpool go to Dubai, you know, United have got sponsorships with Saudi Arabia, and suddenly, you know, I took somebody to task who writes for the Guardian, where when we were, you know, fighting for the league, well, we were fighting for the league with United a couple of seasons ago, somebody said, you know, you know, question Sheikh Mansour and human rights. And I wrote back to this person from The Guardian and said, you've got a sponsorship deal with Saudi Arabia. What are your views on the human rights of Saudi Arabia? And these same, these same sports sections were covered Godolphin Still. Racing, which is, you know, the same, the same ruling family, the same part of the world, without any reference, any negativity to human rights and labour. Yeah, look, look at the shirt sponsorship. I mean, it's the Emirates FA Cup. Arsenal playing the Emirates Stadium. They've got Emirates across his shirt. Is it Qatar Airways sponsored lots of big clubs in Europe. Where's that? Is that a different Middle East? Because it seems like it's only Manchester City that get all the hassle for having Arab owners. You know, so this us. brings us on to, to this question from Michael Thompson, right? Um, the, the media policy at the club, why do we actually let these negative people into the club? Some of these parasites, these are his words, not mine, right? Some of these parasites are trying to kill the club, yet we let them come into the club on a match day and take the club's hospitality, uh, not, and not just now, but have done for months. Why is the club not tough with them and not roll out, and why do they roll out a red carpet week in, week out? If someone walked into your home and abused you, you wouldn't let them back in. So I think he encapsulates a lot of views. Here's another one from Khalid Ahmed. Why do we allow the likes of... Now, he's named two journalists here. Um, I don't know whether to name them or not. I don't think there's any harm in, in naming them. Um, that's This is Khalid's uh, um, view. The likes of Ian Laderman and Ian Herbert to sit there free of charge at the Etihad when they're spouting libelous nonsense in the national press. They should be banned from City. Now, is the first part of this but you can give your opinions generally anyway but in terms of city matters is that ever a subject that's been brought up have you ever took you know the hierarchy you you know you, the people that are there from the club have you ever took them to task on this if that's the right expression and said why do you do this and you shouldn't or have you is that not something you've ever discussed it's, it's been brought up it's not been it's not gone into in great detail because i think we all we all as reps i would guess broadly agree with the, the questioner there uh, but the club want to to take the angle that they take and I don't think it's anything that we would necessarily support but I don't think they they would listen to our feedback on that well, really. I think I can I can put some meat on the bones here because I had a conversation with Vicky Kloss a few years ago uh, we she a, is the, she, Vicky Kloss was at the time she was um, head of the media department she's now communications director so she doesn't deal with the press I don't think on a day to day basis um, but we, we talked about it was after the takeover and we talked about media strategy and the same subject came well of course we were getting abuse in the press uh, and the view of the club was because her she, she's not acting with a free hand so she's being told what to do and it was very much a case of we know that our owners like to do things low key you know they're not about shouting or, or being aggressive or, or vindictive or in that sense and, and, and she said the the, the, it's quite interesting. The instructions were to, to keep it low key. So, uh, and th there were two different strands really. One was the, the, the more sensible journalists in the broad street, on the broadsheets, as they were seen at the time, you know, the Times, the Guardian, 
papers like that, to get them on site, to work with them, to let them understand what we were doing as a club, the project, where we were going. Uh, and they took David Conn out to Abu Dhabi to interview uh, Chairman Khalidun Al Mubarak. Um, there was someone else, um, Nick Harris, who was at the Mail on Sunday at the time. They, they worked because he commented a lot on financial matters. They worked with him quite closely. Which are the red tops, you know, the, the, the suns, yeah, you, you've got to ignore those because there's nothing you can do. They're just going to write clickbait. Whatever you say, they're going to twist whatever you say, they're going to write clickbait. So those fans who've commented would say, ban them then? Well, yes, I, but it, it, they wouldn't write anything different. They're not going to love you because you banned them. And they're not going to stop writing about you because you banned them. And I think there's possibly a little sensitivity from the ownership because I wish we talk about Abu Dhabi and human rights, but... You know, the, the media out there is very compliant, let's say. I, I don't know, it's heavily, I wouldn't use the term heavily said, but it's it's compliant. They know what to say. Uh, th there's no great criticism uh, allowed out there. That's their culture. Yeah, I'm not going to criticise. That's the way they work. Of course, in this country, it's completely different. And I think it has taken them aback how vocal and how uh, vicious the, the football media can be. Now, I think things... I like to think things have moved on because I had another chat with Vicky about six months ago and it was quite clear that uh, her view at the time uh, originally was that, oh, well, you know, it's just a bit of jealousy at the moment, the fear of the unknown. Once we're, once we're established, it'll all die down and they'll treat us with respect. Well, because that it's got worse. It's not got better. It's and got it's worse. certainly going to be open house and right think, now, isn't it? And I think the club are now realising that it's a coordinated thing. It's not just... Uh, you know, there's almost a group briefing these journalists, and, and um, you know, whether it's the you know the, the old G14 cartel or or what. Uh, um, there's a geopolitical, of course, uh, Qatar and uh, United Arab Emirates are at daggers drawn at the moment. So, you know, all that's being played out. We never have this problem with Peter Swales, of course. You know, um, but all that's being played out through football. It's a very complex. Uh, environment to operate in, I think. And I think I have some sympathy for, for people like Vicky and the press team at the club. But I think, I like to think, the realisation has dawned on them, and particularly looking at the press this weekend, that there is no way back for some of them. There should be no way back for some of these people. There is no way. I, I, I've been quite supportive of, of the policy. I understand that. I understand taking the long view. But I've changed my mind. I'm quite now quite um, quite behind the idea that if people are writing rubbish about, I would, would have used another word there, but people are writing the sort of rubbish they're writing about us, we should not be having them through the doors. Now, now we'll t and we should take the criticism for that. I've said from day one, and I brought you up at a meeting, I was quite vocal about it, about why we let, the, you know, same as the lad said, same thing, why do we let these people in? They will write whatever they want about Manchester City, whether we try and keep them on side or not, why should we have to keep them on side? You know, they're not going to do us any favours. The club know, I won't name Nate, but the club know where this targeted abuse is coming from. To me, it's like, write what you want, just watch us on telly. Don't let don't let them in. It's simple as, and they'll say, oh, it's just, you, you know, throwing your toys out of the pram. So what? Everyone hates us anyway. We just keep doing what we're doing. And what I have noticed, and I notice it all the time, because people say they're not bothered about us, but they quite obviously are. And I just think, Every silverware that we win, they try and say it's tainted. They say it's not, you know, you've not run it properly. But it must, have, you know, they are honest with themselves, which I don't think many of them can ever be. I look myself in the mirror all the time, and I know when if I'm hurt about something, 
I don't think these people can, but they must be hurting about what Manchester City are doing because we do things so well. We play football brilliantly. You know, we're not having a great season this season, but we're still in the final. We've already got silverware under our belt. You know, we're in the last stage of the FA Cup and the Champions League. You know, we're doing all right. We're having a bit of a transitional season and we're still better than most of the teams in the world, you know. And I just think City needs to, you know, I actually thought the next meeting, we, we've got to go hardcore. We've got to say, look, you hate us. Well, we'll, we'll give you a bit back because, and again, with this ban, and I just think slowly but surely, this, this again, will be seismic. They'll come to us soon because... Again, I'll say, you know, I will reference United, I will reference Liverpool. Look how quickly they've dropped United and cozied up to Liverpool. You know, it's almost like, oh, well, you're not relevant anymore. They'll tell themselves they're relevant. They'll tell themselves that it's all about Liverpool and United. But they've dropped them. They've never liked us. They never will like us. We'll always be City. We'll just keep doing what we do. Just, you know, players, I, I genuinely think... Players do live in a bubble, but they must see this hatred that is aimed at City and they must think, well, you know, what have we done wrong? Because what have they done wrong? I gave an interview after Zaba left and I said, I don't know why people hate us. I'm not bothered by it. It's only jealousy. Why, you know, we don't have players who are nasty. We we have decent players. You look at David Silva and Sergio, you know, they're all decent, honest people. You know, they don't live lives that you'd think mm, what are they up to you know Raheem Sterling nice guy gets slaughtered in you know slightly less now but you know people are holding back you know they want to go at him again you know if he fouls somebody all that old hatred comes out and it, it's obvious and hopefully the club will see that now and think bloody hell that, that's really you know surprised us and like Cole said just think well it's not going to change I didn't think 12 years down the line, we'd still be having the same conversation. Mm. This is, you know, laughing at us when we tried to sign Kaka. They're still doing it. Now they, they can't wait for our players to go. They can't wait for our owners to leave. They can't wait for Pep to go because Pep will suddenly become the best manager in the world again. Once, he, you know, if he leaves City, you know, it's like we're rubbish. Everyone doesn't rate us, but they'd have every one of our players and have our manager and they'd have our owners like that. Uh, Just I mean, to finish off this yeah, this podcast, because you, you don't believe it, we're nearly up to an hour already here. Um, there's a couple of subjects that um, that I want to bring in. Uh, Mo Surrey on, on uh, Twitter, John Rogers on Twitter, and there have been others as well. Um, they've been asking about car parking at the stadium. Now, this might seem trivial to some people, but it isn't. It's huge for the people who are affected by this. Um, John says, parking for matches at the... Uh, I park, I'm trying to read this quickly, so apologies for stumbling through it. Parking for matches at the Academy Stadium. I appreciate you the free parking that the club provide in Blue Car Park. That's the furthest point away from the Academy Stadium and often a lonely walk back. Is there anywhere any closer? Just a practical matter, undoubtedly influenced by security. On an even smaller matter associated with Academy matches, why have they gone back to paper tickets instead of activating your season card? That, of course, only applies uh, when the fixture department stroke the ticket office and the information team realise there's actually a match on. And that was something I, I mentioned to you before. They never seem to do any publicity for Youth Cup or EDS anymore. There's plenty of publicity for the women's games. I was at the women's game today. But sometimes the Youth Cup and the EDS matches almost go under the radar. Now, there are... Questions there about parking. Does anybody know whether that's been discussed? And 
you know, is there any other solution to that? I can't give a specific solution to that to that one, but certainly parking has been discussed, and I think it's a new a new. Uh, there was an orange car park discussion at the last full meeting. I, I don't use the car park, so I'm not really that that up on it. But it's definitely the whole transport thing and the whole idea of a redevelopment of uh, the area around the stadium in the light of this new arena that's been mooted as well is is all on is all on the table. But um, you know, for specifics like that, contact us and and. And we can take specifics up. Yeah, parking, um, obviously for academy games and stuff, it's not being discussed. But you now, if you share a car, you know, if you go on your own and park in one of the city's car parks, it's a tenner. If you've got somebody with you, it's £8. So that's a change that's come in recently. Is that something you people have come up with or is that the club that have come up with it? It was the club that came up with the idea, all part of their sustainability uh, initiative, came up with the idea of differential charging. Now... Um, the original proposal they put on the table we didn't think was uh, met the objective they were trying to achieve. So we suggested an alternative and um, fortunately they've taken it up, yeah. Okay, let's move on to another, just rattle through a couple of quick ones to finish. Is there any way service for food could be quicker? Because a lot of people leave early for food and still miss a chunk of the second half. Yeah, so we've done some work on that. So we've had 53 more tills have gone in around the stadium um, with another 50 to go in this summer. Um, the the numbers that they were given us were that there were something like 259 fans per terminal 18 months ago. Once these next tills go in, in time for next season, that'll be down to 150 t- fans per terminal, which is what they call the, the, the 100 to 150 is the, is the perfect ratio, I'm told. Um, so we'll get there with that. There are beer jets gone in, there are beer carts gone in, there are more of the, both of those coming. Um, there's difficulties introducing the, the stuff on the concourse because it's got to be a, a non-fire hazard. There's council, local council uh, regulations to get past. But they're looking at bringing in double-sized beer carts. That'll take a lot of the queues away from the kiosks. Um, they're using all the marathon betting kiosks next season. We'll all be selling food and drink at half time because um, then there's no betting at half time. So there'll be betting kiosks before the game and, and catering kiosks at half time. Um, there's staff incentive schemes being introduced that staff are now incentivized on the number of people they serve. Um, so we are looking at stuff like that. And, you know, if there are further suggestions, then we'll, we'll, we'll take them up. There's one subject I'm going to finish with, because we could continue on, but and this is something that I think I know the answer to already, but correct me if I'm wrong, which is trams. Um, now, when I go to a European away game, and there's quite a lot of knowledge of European away games in Germany, they back up trams and they maybe have, you know, maybe 15 of them or something in a queue virtually, and then as soon as the match finishes, they load up one, it's gone, next one, gone, next one, gone. Now, as I understand it, uh, Metro, has, uh, believe it or not, one of my, ambi- my, my ambitions was to drive a tram as a kid. Perhaps a bit sad, but there you go. And I've actually um, had the chance to drive up and down the sidings, so I've actually driven one. And I spoke to somebody who worked for them who said that what we do on a match day is we stick as many double trams on the route, which goes to Ashton and back in, as we can, um, and whether or not they've got enough, I don't know. But they certainly don't back them up. So they, uh, this is as I understand it. So they just come in with a, with a frequency, um, maybe a double followed by a single, double, single or whatever, a couple of doubles and a single. 
So they don't do what they do in Germany. Now, you hinted at this early on. can't remember which one of you it was, but one of you said um, because it's, it's sort of fractured, it's private enterprise and all the rest of it, it can't be quite coordinated. So maybe that already answers the question. But wouldn't it be possible to have, you know, 10 trams, 12 trams queued up so that once the game finishes, you can go gump, 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 gump. Has that been discussed? Could that be possible? How do you achieve that? We are talking about transport the next meeting. And as I say, the, um, I've talked to the... Um, I went to the consultation on the new arena and talked to a transport consultant who's been engaged on that. Now, the problem with Metrolink is there is only room to back one tram up. There's a little siding just past the Etihad stop between the Etihad and the Bellatron. You Bella can tram. back them up to Ashton if you have to. <laughs> you, what do you, you mean? Could, yeah, you, you, you could. You could have them running around while the game's on, queuing up one well, after the other. Well, there's lots of things you could do. We, what we don't know is what Metrolink can do. So, well, they um, can do that, sure. So, so, so for me, if I was looking at it, I'd say for, for you know the period, an hour and a half, two hours before the game... Um, Instead of trams ending up Piccadilly, running through to the Etihad and then taken back from there. Good idea. That's one thing you could do. Good idea. You probably need to be put a bit of track in. Uh, another thing is, at the moment, I, I live on the Berry line, so uh, trams altern- alternate between going to Altrincham and Piccadilly. Now, I'd introduce the third one, so have the third tram going to Ashton. So, and it's only for a, you know, an hour or so up to kick-off, that you, you, and, and you do that coming back as well. So it's once a fortnight, maybe once a week, that you have to make arrangement. But, of course, one of the issues is that um, Metrolink have to plan in advance. So they can't just say on, on the Friday, all oh, right, we're going to do this on the Saturday. It's about staff rotors. And, of course, there are other people who use the tram network. But, but why should we be inconvenienced as, as you know, 40,000 fans? And when the arena, the new arena is built, hopefully it will be, you could get 20,000 people coming out at the same time as the match finishes. What the hell That's are you going to do That's key, I then? think. Are there going to be a new station there or a new yeah. line? I mean, it's so close to sort of the edge of City Square, but not right on but, site. So but, how are they going to deal with those extra yeah, yeah. But bodies? one thing, um, Danny Wilson was actually at our branch meeting uh, a couple of weeks Danny back. Danny Wilson is? He's the operations director at City. So there's a little club contingent came to the branch meeting. Uh, I was talking to him afterwards, and uh, you know, we don't use shuttle buses enough. And it, but again, buses are private. You've got to pay for them. But, of course, when we had the Commonwealth Games at the very same stadium, there was a fleet of shuttle buses running from outside the, the co-op, the, uh, what's now the National Football Museum. It was a fantastic trip. You, got, you couldn't take your car anywhere near. Well, in main road days, you used, I used to get on the bus in A-Town Street. A-Town Street, yeah. Main, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've all done that. And the buses were one after the other. Uh, they do it in Liverpool. They do it in Liverpool. If you go to... Yeah. Uh, Usually Bolton do it, to, of course, to get out to the Reebok, well, yeah. whatever, the University yeah, of Bolton yeah. Stadium. When, when you go to Anfield Goodison, I always park at Sandhill Station on the Mersey Rail line, just about uh, a couple of miles from the ground, and there's a, a fleet of buses that run backwards and forwards. You know, it can be done. It's not just the regularity in the waiting times, though. I mean, I think there's a, a real safety issue with the, the yeah. way they're cramming people in. I get on the tram, the second tram I get on at Cornbrook, and it's already it's already full before it gets to Piccadilly Gardens, and then more people get on. Then it's already over full before it gets to Piccadilly Station, and they, they're practically crowbarring people in. I've seen people have panic attacks. I've seen children crying. Um, it's woefully inadequate and, and, and it needs to change. And yeah, so, we'll draw a line yeah. under it, though. I mean, I know you're bursting to speak again, Colin, and I love the fact that you three, first of all, a big, big thank you to all three of you for coming down here. You've given up your own time. You've come down here. Um, we're, we're at Tameside Radio in Ashton, and thanks very much to Tameside Radio for being uh, our hosts tonight. Um, you've done that. Um, a, a drop of, well, not a drop of a hat. We've planned it, I know, but... 
thank you. I, I really appreciate you doing that. You've tried to speak as honestly and openly as you can. Hopefully, we can do this again in that international break. Um, and 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 I support what you're trying to do uh, wholeheartedly, and and really appreciate you the job that you do. It's all these questions are so deeply personal, so so passionate, so. Um, you know, everything matters to people and to try to get everything right for every single individual has got to be an impossible task. I, I speak to people like Danny Wilson and I know that a lot of what he does comes absolutely from the heart and, and very, very genuinely. And you three are all nodding, which which is good, but that's been certainly my experience. And I know how torn he is and people like him, I don't know everybody in that role, uh, torn between trying to help that person and then that person doesn't like it. So it is impossible. But at least with, with people like you, there is a voice on there that the fans have. Um, just as a final thing then, if people want to contact you, we, we did that this last time at the end of the podcast, what is the best way that they can contact you to say, come on, Adam, I want this brought up. Come on, Andrew, come on, Colin, whatever. How, how did he do that? Well, if you just Google City Matters, it'll take you to the page on the City website and there's a click button there. There's a little profile of each of us. So depending on which rep you want to contact, you can just click the button and send an email. There's also on the Citizens Portal website is a new section being created on there. If anyone uses that, there's, there's a City Matters header on there. That's going to be used hopefully for more uh, creating debates. So if I just put a quick plug in there, there's one already set up about what you'd like to see out of the family stand. Um, so if anybody has any thoughts on the family stand, please go on there and add it on. But just as an example of how tricky it is, uh, you know, half the people say it should be bigger and half the people say it should be smaller. So, Yeah, it's impossible, isn't it? Well, if you want to contact these these three guys and the other seven people who are on the committee, uh, do so. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, they are chartered mortgage advisors. So if you're about to buy a property or you know somebody in your friends or family are doing that and they want some advice, can be a tricky process and you want somebody batting in your corner, then have a look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. Give them a call. The number's on the website. Uh, thanks very much to Will, who's been doing some filming. He sits quietly in the background, but he's a, he's a key part of the team here. But thanks to you for listening, most of all. The next podcast, unless um, something very dramatic happens, and we're doing another extra one, uh, will be next Sunday, uh, the day after the Leicester game. Uh, and, of course, looking ahead to the coming up Champions League game because City is still in it this season um, so that's uh, that's all come to come next week uh, if you follow the vlog don't forget to watch uh, Colin Savage talking about the the repercussions of the two year ban on the vlog version which is on uh, the YouTube channel thanks very much for your support really appreciate it see you again next time <laughs>